Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the Roos, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode one of the Bruise Banana FC podcast. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. So today is the official launch of our new podcast, and it is a day that I've been looking forward to for a long, long time. While Arsenal have been busy racking up the points, scoring a lot of goals, and of course, winning all of the Premier League awards, guys and I have been busy getting this new venture together, and I know that we are all excited to get going. Uh, so the way this is going to work is that we're planning on keeping these episodes relatively short, around 30, 45 minutes or so. We're going to have one every Monday and Friday for you. So set the alarms, go po- uh, follow the podcast Twitter page at Bruised Nana FC, and get ready for some fun and stress as we navigate the run-in. So uh, you know, I, want, I, want, I think it's time that we introduce the Bruised Banana FC crew and get right into our match review from the 4-1 victory over Leeds. With me today is Ben. You can find on Twitter at Ben Browning. Ben Browning three. Sorry about that, Ben. How's it going? Oh, it's like we've never been away. It's going well. <laughs> How are you? I am to doing get ben, great. Ben Browning one and two, but we, they just wouldn't hey. accept any of the emails. I wish I wish you were the first person to have made that joke. It's worse <laughs> when it comes on to other social medias, and it's not even Ben Browning three anymore. I've had to keep going through them. <laughs> It's okay, you, you know, you just didn't offer enough money for the for the shirt number, I understand. <laughs> so also with me is Luke, you can find on Twitter at Ecclecoon. Luke, how are you? I'm ill, but I'm excited. I'm very, very happy <laughs> to be back. And, uh, and I'm glad that we can like start with a win because um, I feel like our luck, as we were kind of doing last year of, um, of the Avenal Roadcast, was a bit a bit up and down when it came to results. So uh, I'm glad we can start yeah, with, uh, we with start something that's really positive imagine good thing arsenal don't lose so that's fine (laughs) (laughs) so uh let's jump right into it here and to kick off this episode i thought luke i wanted to start with you and kind of just set the tone about how you're feeling about this run-in in general and kind of where your emotions are at with arsenal nine games left eight victories secures us the title i know that you know one game at a time mentality and all but obviously we're supporters here we kind of like to get little bit over the ski tips uh, at every moment possible whether good or bad so how are you feeling yeah i mean it's it's impossible not to feel both the incredible optimism of the situation whilst also being completely afraid to be hurt but i think you have to go into it with um with the mentality that you're just going to try and enjoy it for every step of the way because i remember um when we were doing the podcast like months and months ago, you used to ask me every week, like, is it now? Do it's time to believe? And admittedly, like, it was, it was a while back. Yeah. Admittedly, it was um, a while back that I kind of did start believing. But the, the first time you asked me, I said, if we're still in the whereabouts by the end of March, then, you know, we can start really thinking about it there. And, you know, we're there now. Like, we're, we've passed that point. We're at a point now where it's in our own hands. Um, We've got... Uh, some very tough fixtures in these last nine like you're thinking of obviously we have Anfield um Anfield on Sunday we still have to go to City uh we still have to play Chelsea who who knows what Chelsea going to top at that point and then you know the Premier League is always competitive um in the the in between of that as well but but I guess the the big thing for us is you know we're we're there we're in the title battle 
we're in a place that we did probably most of us didn't think we we're going to be like no one else we we're going to be and the thing i'm enjoying now is all the people that maybe at the start of us doing well started saying do you know what i really want arsenal to win i want like plucky little arsenal to to beat manchester city now these people are actually realizing oh actually if arsenal can do it why aren't we doing it and the, the bitterness is starting to come out now in in, uh, in some kind of realms of football fandom so i'm enjoying that um but i think in general it's just it's just important to enjoy that we're in a position now that we haven't been in for a really long time and we can actually enjoy it as long away and you know fingers crossed it's happy at the end but you know up until then just got to try and enjoy it ben uh pre-match this weekend there's a lot of tension and excitement around arsenal with you know kind of the hopes that liverpool would do us a solid and take points off city and kind of the way that city just brushed liverpool aside at least for me was a little bit concerning and kind of uh put extra emphasis and tension into this match. And it, it, I think it made what should and kind of ultimately was a comfortable match, a little bit more tense. Did you kind of have that feeling, you know, watching over you know, what happened before our match? And did that, I guess, add a little bit more, I guess, tension to, to what you, we watched? Not, not, not really. I mean, I've watched a fair bit of Leeds this season. Um, I was a bit thrown by the team selection, but, I sort of knew what to expect and thought we could um, dismantle them quite easily. With with Liverpool, I mean, I've I've given up hoping with Liverpool. You know, you always hope they can do you a solid, but they've been so poor this season and they keep playing the same team. You know, I feel a bit sorry for Klopp because he hasn't got any um, any real options, especially with like Bajetic being injured and Thiago being injured and Cater being made of uh, styrofoam. But it does... You know, I can't expect anything from a midfield of Fabinho and Jordan Henderson and Trent Alexander-Arnold still at right back. You know, you can't... I, I didn't expect them to take anything at the Etihad and I wasn't surprised when they didn't. If So I don't I don't think it added any pressure. I don't think Arsenal would have felt any pressure because I think they were probably looked at the same way. But um, I guess within the fan base, it sort of has that feeling of City breathing down your neck and there's less margin for error. So... I don't know. I think for me personally, it wasn't a case of being concerned because it sort of panned out how most people would have expected it to. Um, it's just nice to still have that eight point cushion at the top with what nine games to go now. Yeah, uh, I guess, Ben, you took the, the Ben White approach where you just say, I don't watch football and you know, <laughs> like it doesn't matter. <laughs> Luke, well, it was so the moment Salah's goal went in. It was just sort of like a. It went. It almost went in too early. You know, in football matches where the underdog takes the lead really early. Oh man! And you sort of go, well, you know, there's enough time. It's happened to us before. You know, they score in like the twenty thirtieth minute, and you go, well, now you're in trouble because now they've got a point to prove. You know, they're coming from a deficit. They've actually got to start playing proper football. And from that point on, it was just sort of, you know, City dominating the ball. And that second half was a walkover. You know, I think if it was a boxing match, it would have been stopped. Um, so. It was just, it was a bit soul destroying. Is everyone's talking about the Man City machine, but that was it in its like, you know, absolute best and optimum. I think and they um, didn't have Erling Holland either, and oh man, kind of clung to that. And you're like, oh, without Holland, maybe, and then they're arguably, you know, a more complete team, and and yeah, it, they are. Yeah, no, Phil Foden either. Mm-hmm. I think I think the thing that killed Liverpool in that game was just that. Because in the first half, they were competitive. Like We saw the bit where um, uh, Salah could have squared it to Jota. Probably maybe he could have taken on Grealish at the point. But were, the, the chance was there, I guess, is the point. And then um, uh, Grealish cuts it out. 
Grealish goes on then to give the assist to Alvarez and it goes in at 1-1. And then you've got 15 minutes of Klopp probably saying, do you know what, guys? We've been dangerous. We've, uh, yeah. we've prayed <laughs> against them. Just we need to just, you know, shore up a little bit. Just keep playing the same way. Keep the ball moving quickly. And um, we got we can get something out of this game. And then what was it, like minute, two minutes after halftime? And yeah. suddenly Man City 2-1 up. Two that and that seven. kind of thing is... It takes like the wind out of your sails, doesn't it? Like suddenly all the belief you've all the the kind of the anxiety that's turned itself into into good energy during half time is now just gone. And then City are just in a position to dominate from there. So it was a shame. I mean it was pretty uh kind of similar to what Arsenal did. And you know, obviously we went into the halftime one nil up, but you know, we went after you know, after halftime we just absolutely blitzed them. And I, I think that very similar to what City are able to do, you know score three four goals in a matter of 20 or 30 minutes i think arsenal have shown this season that we are also able to do that you know, turn you may, maybe not have the perfect performance but have a a dominant and comfortable victory just because the 30 minutes that we are perfect we have absolutely capitalized and turn what could have been a you know if Leeds would have been able to withstand all of that pressure and, and not concede a bunch of goals you know say it's 70 minutes and it's still one nil even if Arsenal are dominating, there's still it's still a game. But you know, this, this that's my biggest takeaway, I guess, from this match. We'll kind of transition into the Arsenal match, is just that our ability to be professional and turn. You know, what we didn't play great. You know, we obviously we were we didn't start Bukayo Saka. That's okay. We we started Leo Trossard. I don't think he had a great first half, but the team as a whole had just an unbelievable 30 minute period after halftime where we were able to get kind of the perfect Arsenal win. Obviously, we didn't get a clean sheet. We were able to rest a lot of our key players. We were able to get some minutes into some of the squad players, and we were able to show that you know, in the moments that matter, in the moments around the box, we have quality and we have depth, and that showed. Uh, so, yeah, Luke, what do, you, what do you think about this as a professional win and kind of what's your biggest takeaway from this match? Yeah, I do think it's um, a really kind of like, um, as you say, professional win, and as as we you were saying before, like similar to the City game in a sense that good, really good teams like City are and like we have been this season. I think that the teams that play are sometimes if you start in first or second gear, you can't assume where they're going to stay in first second gear because like because Arsenal and City have those gears to go through. Um, I think um, as you say, a depth is a, is a brilliant thing. I think one of the people I really want to pick out just because I think that he's been really good lately and kind of stood up in really important moments is probably Aaron Ramsdale just because. Um, as well as the team has played, we have had kind of periods in a lot of very recent games where he's needed to stand up and kind of stop us going what could have been a goal down, um, stop us equal like and equalised on stuff like that. Do you know what I mean, I, I mean probably the one against Bournemouth may have been offside, but there's a lot of moments in this point where it just felt like the save he made before we got the the Jorginho goal against Villa. Um, he made a really good save again um, in the match against Leeds against like in the first minute against Christensen, which is probably something that we have to talk about because like Leeds mm. nearly bombed us. Like um, there's, oh, there's so clearly a weakness. Yeah. yeah, but people are clearly like seeing some sort of weakness in Zinchenko to the point where they're taking kickoffs, they're completely overloading that kind of flank, and um, and getting people to kind of squeeze up on them, and then they're getting shots away like in the box. And you'd think Bournemouth, if it was a one-off, that'd have been the scare. And suddenly, like you know, we just we dealt with it from the next time. But it does feel like now um, that Leeds and I'd replicate it almost. Um, we were lucky that Ramsdale was ever made a good save, and he made a few other good saves in kind of that that kind of twenty-minute period where it was a bit fifty-fifty in the game before we were able to take over. And I think that's the mark of a keeper of a top club is that 
they can go through like three, four, five games maybe without having much to do. Maybe they get clean sheets, stuff like that. But then you have these moments where they have to ha- be on it for maybe 10 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. And and recently, Ramsdale has been that guy for us. And it, it's probably not like as flashy as some other players have been. I think you could also pick out, obviously, Trossard has been fantastic. I think Ben White's been fantastic. There's a lot of like really high performers in this team. But just because he doesn't really get the love at this point in time, the, the, the main person I want to pick out for it is just Aaron Ramsdale. Was, it's, it's just that the fact that he's added that consistency to his game that I think that we haven't seen previously. Ben, you're over here shaking your head. Uh, what's up? <laughs> I was I was just thinking about uh, when we signed him from Sheffield United, and I hope Luke has got the uh, biggest slice of humble pie that the world has ever seen sitting in front I, of him I right didn't now. listen when he signed him from Sheffield United. Well, you're not, you're not part of the 90s. I wasn't so. part of that brigade. Luckily. I seem to remember. I was, I was, uh... I was part of the, the on the fence. I was part of the, I don't know this kid's. <laughs> So I can't say anything. <laughs> but no, I agree. He has he has worked out really, really well. And he has kept us in a lot of games. And I think a lot of people talk about like David De Gea or various other goalkeepers. But the mark of a good goalkeeper is not being talked about. I think as much as being talked about, you know, you don't want to be the guy that makes a mistake in the first phase build up. You don't want to be the guy that's, you know, caught off your line like Edison is occasionally or anything like that. You want to be the guy that they go, oh, yeah, he's good. Eight, seven, eight out of ten every game. And if you have to make one big save every game, then you make it and then you dust yourself off and get on with it. I think he's going to be a bit pissed off. I think we saw in the All or Nothing series with this clean sheet going. I mean, it was against Villa when we won 3 1 last season <laughs> yeah. and he lost his clean sheet and he was fuming in the dressing room. And I, it sort of felt, it always feels a bit like we're going to concede a goal. I don't know what it is, especially at home. It just feels like we're a bit open and a bit. Um, easy to attack we get comfortable i think we never look like we're gonna throw the game away like at 3-1 we never looked like we were gonna lose the game or draw the game but it always feels like we're just giving away a goal and it's something that i think Mikel Arteta will probably look at because it's happening far too frequently and it's becoming like the kickoff stuff it's becoming a bit of a pattern yeah i think though on that note i think one of the storylines of our season so far has been every time you know say we're 2-0 up and they score a goal within the next 10 minutes really we'll we'll go score a goal put you know to restore that two goal lead or in this instance a three goal lead it's kind of you can i think it's maybe a little bit of the youth and, and maybe some immaturity or just maybe immaturity is probably the wrong word there but just some the youth in the team that's okay you know this game is comfortable and then you know, kind of relax a little bit and then it's the premier league every team even if you you know you're Bournemouth, you know we get kicked in the you know punched in the mouth. That that happens, and you kind of have to be switched on mentally all the time. And, and luckily, this team, like against Leeds, showed you know, yes they can score a goal in for a couple of minutes. Maybe it seems a little tense, but the team doesn't get stressed, and they say no, it's it's time to remind remind this team and remind the fan base that we are good and, and go ahead and restore that that lead and kind of re- restore the status yeah. quo. Yeah, Luke, uh, what do you think is, you know, do you think there is any, I guess, root cause for these early you know, chances that we're giving up? Because, you know, prior to, I guess, really the World Cup or maybe even just the Bournemouth match, it was always in in, in recent seasons as, as well. It's always been Arsenal are the ones who, you know, start really quickly. And we used to get a lot of goals in the first 10 minutes. And that was kind of one of our, you know, uh, I guess, key 
points to Arsenal is that we were really, really, really good in the first 10, 15 minutes, you know, irregardless of who we were going up against. And kind of it, it seems like that may be faltering a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I do think that as time goes on, I, I don't I don't think that teams have got a blueprint against us because I think they've known what we're doing all along. But I do think that the longer you play a certain way, the the more like time the team has to come up with certain answers to it. Like They'll look at the games that we've been stifled a bit, like the Newcastle game and the Everton game and things like that. And um and they'll kind of take bits and bobs. So I do think that you know teams are probably getting a bit wiser to us than they were. Um, but I think a lot of it is just down to we play very high risk football. Like us and City, we play like probably the highest lines in the league by a very very long way. Um, uh, you can see like obviously I, I, nothing against Rapaldin. I think he did defensively a good job. I thought he was a bit suspect on the ball, if I'm being honest. Um, which I think kind of hurts us in a lot of cases. Like when you're trying to play out from the back and you've got Zinchenko popping up and playing nice passes through the lines to people and it goes to Rapold and he tries to float over one player and it just gets cut from that alone. I think that um, when we do play in the future of Rapolding in that back four, I think that other teams will kind of look at that as the trigger where you can't really press the other guys, but you can press him. Um, so I think that is maybe a problem in terms of of um the Leeds game but I think generally it's just the fact that we play like really high risk high octane football which is great to to view and it goes to show how many goals we've scored um but it's going to leave spaces and when you don't have like Saliba who's like probably one of the fastest centre-backs in the league next to Gabriel who's another one of the fastest centre-backs in the league um then sometimes those balls are going to go a bit you know a bit awry it is, it is what it is um I think we're at a point in the season now where um, performances are obviously important but like everyone's kind of in a very results mindset and I think that takes games into places that that games don't usually get to in the first two thirds of the season where teams are very aware of their own mortality in that sense like where a lot of teams are going to play are going to be very aware of what they're fighting for and what they have to do to achieve what they're fighting for and that's going to affect teams and how they play and um, because it's it's kind of changed now from teams that are str like striving to get like better and better like maybe like there's projects in place they're trying to improve their stats overall and just become an overall much better team to now they're in a point where it's like we need three points like three points now are massive like for the teams especially when you look at the teams that are 12 from below can all go down so you know in the next not 11 not chelsea so, yeah well <laughs> chelsea just about miss out i think i think i think they'll be safe but you never know um but i think that is at a point now where um uh, teams are going to be um very very almost kind of prepared to be self-destructive to get what they need and it's going to be really interesting to see how the Premier League kind of shapes up after um all these matches take place yeah I think it also could just be kind of a compliment to Arsenal's defensive record that it's really hard to score against us from open play and so if a team they may not even get that many set pieces and you know, using the kickoff to kind of manufacture as its own little set piece, maybe, you know, one of the only opportunities that they get a chance like that, where they can dictate where the ball is, where it, you know, where it goes and, and kind of dictate the territory like that. So Ben, uh, what is your biggest takeaway from this victory over Leeds? Um, I think that it was nice to have Gabriel Jesus back. That's, that's going to be my biggest takeaway. Um, He's pretty good at football, huh? He's he's all right at football, isn't he? This kid. Um, he's better Jesus than the other Jesus as well, because he rose before Easter. <laughs> had to had to get one in episode one, and, and we already got it in. <laughs> yep, that's, that's the podcast done. We're disbanding now. Sorry, one too many. <laughs> um, but no, I think 
the way that he 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 I think we started quite slowly. Um and you sort of forget how much he does drop out of the attack and sort of roam to find the ball, but then he does he does what he normally does and sort of is that close footwork that won in the penalty. Um I think I remember the one the one against Leicester's the obvious one, you know, close footwork from the touchline and cutting inside, but he does it so often that it's so useful to have just as like another tool to unlock low blocks. We obviously have Trossard who's good in those areas. We have Martinelli who's okay in those areas. Um, but having Jesus just brought us to another level, I think, in certain positions. And then he also has that added striker's instinct, instinct as we saw for the third goal, you know, where he's started the move, then got in the, on the end of the cross on the cutback from Trossard. So it was really nice to have him back, which sounds stupid to say, but we've been missing him for three months for any fans of rival clubs that thought we got lucky with injuries. Um, not naming any names, but, you know... Toss some was... journalists in there as well. <clears throat> yeah, well, it was it was good to uh, good to see him back on the pitch. Good to see him get another what was it seventy odd minutes under his belt, and hopefully he he's back at the right time can fire us towards the title. Yeah, I definitely think that it was really important for him to score. I think first of all, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was really important for him to come in and, and from the start remind everybody you know the qualities that he has. Ben, you referenced his. You know, dribbling ability, his one v one, and that I think that was is something that we've missed, and we only really got it back with Chassard because I think he has a similar ability uh, dribbling around the box as Jesus. But until we had you know put Chassard at the nine, we hadn't really seen that in a while, and yeah, I think it definitely was a a, a standout performance from him, and you can tell that he is a player who is. He's very emotional and he plays, you know, confidence matters a lot to him. And with the running games that we're going to have, not only I think was it crucial that he played like he did and, you know, got 60 odd minutes or so, but that he scored. And you could tell when he got subbed off, he really wanted that hat trick. And which is good. You know, if if you take him off when he's still hungry for goals, you'd rather that than him, you know, sort of resting on his laurels. Yeah, no, exactly. I was going to say, you know, that it's, exactly what you want from your striker especially your striker coming back from a long-term absence that he kind of feels that hunger to score again and then he kind of is almost you know like a little addictive you're you're just like yes I, I remember what it feels like to score and play well I want more of that Luke you know sticking with the attack I thought you know unexpectedly because Osaka did not play and we understand you know there's a little bit of illness involved but we saw uh Trossard play on that right hand side and you know, I want to get your take on his performance and what you thought of that as, you know, we're, we're, we've long looked for somebody to kind of take minutes off Bakayo Saka that is unsustainable, how he, how often he was playing and the way that he plays and the physicality that he endures while playing that it, you know, he needed somebody and to kind of, yeah, take minutes away from him and give him a rest. And we don't want him to break down the rest of these nine games and, I don't think we saw a lot of shouts for Trossard to play on the right-hand side, but he did, and I think it was to mixed effect. So what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, in this Arsenal team, one of the toughest players to deputise for is probably Saka, just because he's pretty mercurial in, in how he affects the game and how much we rely on him. Um, the first thing is, like, Trossard can't do the same things that Saka can do. Trossard can do some brilliant things but he can't do what Saka does. So I think automatically when 
when you put him on that right-hand side, it's got to be a different type of role. You can't ask him to do the same things. You can't ask him to to take the ball up against... I, I, I think probably the best way to explain it was when Saka did come on and there's um, that picture going around where he gets the ball on the right-hand side and there's like seven, six or seven players like all just gravitating towards him. That is what Saka brings, is that he, people know his danger to a point now where they know they need to get everyone on him. Whereas I think that, you know, in the first half, you saw quite a lot. Um, Trossard and Martinelli were kind of swapping over a bit. Neither of them really were able to kind of be penetrative on that side. Um, uh, and then it was only really kind of in the second half when um, Trossard was able to kind of get into those spaces. Like like the points where he kind of floats into those half spaces and gets into the box. Like the, the assist for Jesus is unbelievable because I'm not sure how many touches he takes before he puts in the assist, but every touch is just so progressive and, and almost kind of perfect because the guy takes the touch, he's instantly got under his control, he kind of shifts it a bit, he kind of gets a turn on defender, he kind of shimmies one way, goes the other way, puts the ball straight into what you guess you call the corridor of uncertainty and Jesus kind of just is there to, to kind of put it away. So those types of players with that kind of like calmness in the box and the, and the technical ability on top of that are really, really, and, and I think you've seen that in, in like the last kind of month or so where Trossard has really come up trumps as playing like far better than I thought he'd play. Um, but I will say that in terms of replacing Saka, I don't think it's really something that um, it's, it's like advisable or something that we should hope to happen just because like it's not really, it's, it's not not that I'm trying to distrust Saka, it's just, you know, Saka's fantastic and the stuff he brings, we don't really have another player in the squad that can give that. Um, and I probably, you can probably think kind of similar with Martinelli. I, I think that where we've best seen Trossard has been where we've allowed him to kind of get into those central penalty box areas where he's created for so many chances over people. Um, uh, and I think he's proven to be signing of that window. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly in, you know, he complements the entire attack in a way that no Arsenal fan could have foreseen when we signed him. I'm not sure if you guys saw the stats from James Ben Benj that he has more assists since joining Arsenal than every Chelsea player combined and every Manchester United player combined. And I think there's nine Premier League teams that do not, as a team, have uh, the same amount of assists as he does with seven since he joined Arsenal. He's clearly, you know, he has walked into this team and struck up a an unbelievable relationship with both Martinelli and Bukayo Saka that like I said, none of us could have expected he's if we think if the season is going to end up the way that we hope and dream, he's going to go down as you know probably the best January signing in our history. Um, and, you know, he's here you know, for a couple of seasons into the future. We, we, we know that. So, yeah, he's just an unbelievable player. And definitely I underrated him when watching him before, you know, he joined Arsenal. And it's obviously just. One of those moments where you're like, what do I know? Clearly, there's there's a lot of stuff that, that we don't realize. And just silly old podcasters here don't know everything about football. Who would have thought that, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Ben, um, let's talk a little bit about Gabriel Martinelli because I think he is somehow a little bit underrated by Arsenal fans just because of Bukayo Saka and kind of what he does and the levels that Bukayo Saka reaches on and the consistency to which he does what he does. I think we underrate how good Martinelli is and that he, you know, yes, he may not have the the potential and is at the level of Bukayo Saka, but he is still one of the five best young players in, in the world. I, I truly believe that. And if he was at any other club that didn't have a 
a player like Saka, he would be, you know, an unbelievable, you know, everybody would be raging about him the way that we rage about Bukayo Saka. And to me, he's one of my uh, man of the matches today or on uh, against Leeds. Yes, he didn't score, but I thought he was, you know, kind of, we talked to just a, now about how the right side wasn't really working there. Trissard had to figure things out. Odegaard, Ben White, it, you know, that little area wasn't quite clicking for obvious reasons, but we had Martinelli and he was firing and he was relentless. And I think in, especially how the first half was very back and forth in a way that we didn't expect that perfectly suits him in the way that he likes to play. He's not as you know technical around the box, isn't as his skill set. <laughs> But he showed what, you know, his devastation, especially I thought his assist for Ben White was unbelievable. I think a lot of, I saw a lot of people saying that, oh, maybe he didn't see it. He see Ben White. He just put it into the area. I think that's, you know, complete BS. He clearly peeks up, sees the run and puts in an inch perfect pass. So, yeah, talk a little bit about our second star boy, Gabriel Martinelli. Oh, man, he's just fun, isn't he? He brings so much chaos when Saka brings control, which I think is maybe why he's not as well not as highly rated as Saka I think that you know obviously coaches love him Brazil uh, Brazilian fans love him Klopp loves him it's just he does what he does in bursts it's a bit like having a sprinter on one side and then having like a I don't know a marathon runner on the other you know you've got consistency personified with Saka to a very high level and then Martinelli will just do you know he'll drop his shoulder or go go out on the outside or on the inside or you know, find the link up or dovetail really well with Gabriel Jesus. And he does bring something different to Arsenal, which is so valuable. And the way that he can carry the ball, especially on the break, you know, I think a few times against Leeds, you just see him get his head down and just run. And his ability to just sort of glide is really, really underrated for getting us up the pitch and helping us, you know, catch teams on the break. So I think you're right. He does deserve his flowers. I don't know if I think Leeds was another game where he was very bright for parts of it and then sort of drifted out. But for the most part of this season, he's been absolutely excellent. And the return of Gabriel Jesus only helps him further because, you know, their, their rotations on that left-hand side and in the middle works so well together. Um, it's worth, worth saying as well that if um, if he gets three goals in the last nine games, he becomes the highest scorer in Brazilian um, in a season in the Premier League. Really? That's unreal. I didn't I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah. For Firmino's got I'm a record. I'm trying to think who takes over. Who did you say, yeah, sorry? Firmino. Firmino. Yeah. I, I wonder if Klopp was... loves him so much. I, I, I do want to say, though, that really Diego Costa should be in that list, I think. But because he's technically <laughs> been out to Spain, they've kind of not really included him. But still. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking, you know, all the great Brazilians we know about, I can't think of any really good goal scorers in the Premier League. Um, strange, you know, Firmino came in and had that re- had a couple of really good seasons, but was he was always that link player for Salah um, and Mane to go sort of supernova on either side, and it's hard to think of like a regular marksman. Yeah, it, that I definitely had not realized that he was three goals away, and I, I think that he's a player. He's going to play a lot, obviously, and he could definitely get there, and that would be. Just it definitely would be a, a perfect way to, you know, he may not win a lot of awards this season just because we said with Saka and what he's done, but would be, you know, something good for him to kind of take away along with the Premier League winner's medal. But, you know, that to uh, 
cap off a great season. <laughs> uh, Luke, is it fair to say, you kind of talked about this, that your man of the match is Aaron Ramsdale. Um, you mentioned that earlier, but if not, who's your man of the match? I mean, I, I can't really give him his man of the match because he didn't have that much to do, but when he was called I think upon, you might have used those words. Man Did I used to say that? I'm going to recheck that. I'm going to recheck that. Um, uh, riskly, he's, he's not man of the match, but I just think in general, it's, it's more over the course, maybe like the last month, that I'd say that um, he has just been really, really good. I think maybe in terms of the Leeds match, um, I'd be more inclined to give it... Um, to perhaps um, probably Jesus, to be honest, because I just think that considering it's his first um, uh, his first start since coming back from injury, we saw what it felt like to me the Gabriel Jesus that that we kind of left before the World Cup. Like it didn't seem like there was any um, uh, any need for him to really needs to get back up to speed. It, it feels to me like he's already there. Like um, it's not just that he scored the penalty and then obviously scored from open play. It's the fact that like how he won the penalty. Like he's first start back and he's putting people on their ass automatic like already people are already scared for him to run at them he's already kind of got that enthusiasm about him like everything that it felt like was so incredible about him when we signed him in the first months of the season and you know obviously like the goals shot up a little bit before the world cup but the the performances were still there like he's still that guy like he, he a lot of players you'd say you know give him a a few more starts like you know maybe over the next kind of few weeks he kind of gets back up to sharpness this guy's ready to go this guy's ready for the running like you can see the work he must have put in outside the pitch and and the fact that he's come back in with the same confidence same enthusiasm I think is is pretty remarkable because I, I don't think that many players would be able to come off that injury um in that fashion and go straight back into a team that had won like what the last four or five games on a row and and kind of be able to jump in and be the guy again but it just feels like as as much as um, I think that the people that deputise for him have been brilliant. Obviously, Trossard has been fantastic in that central role. Um, Nketiah has been like a match winner for us in certain games. It does feel to me like Gabby Jesus in that position for the next nine games could be the difference. I don't know if you watched, Luke, the uh, YouTube little docu-series that Arsenal had on Gabriel Jesus' you know, re- return from injury. And in one of the episodes, I can't remember what it was, he talked about you know, if he's going to be on the bench, if he's going to play, he's going to be 100%. And you know, he's not going to – he's talked about how he plays with all the intensity that he does, and he doesn't play with any fear. He doesn't want to play with any fear and you know, wants to immediately you – know, if he is going to – be available he wants to be a hundred percent available and i think you see that i think there's probably he probably could have come back two or three games earlier than he did and you know kind of jogged around the pitch a little bit and been halfway there but you know arteta's learned not to do that and i think gabriel jesus probably yes he wants to play but you know when he's ready to play and he he's gonna you know kind of have his triumphant return if that makes sense that when he's back on the on the team sheet he's gonna be the gabriel jesus we know so, yeah, I think that he's going to have a big role to play, obviously, in the run-in. Ben, who is your man of the match against Leeds? I'm going to go with Gabriel Jesus. As I say, I think he's quite good at football, so um, I'll give it to him. Two goals on his, you know, good to see him scoring again. He clearly wanted it a lot when he came on against, um, I can't remember who he came on against, but there was sort of a 10-minute cameo where he had a chance. Might be against Fulham. Um and he fired straight at the goalkeeper, and you know that was—you could see the anguish on his face. So, I'm really happy for him to get two goals. Um, I think Trossard, Trossard was very good. 
given that he was playing our position and uh you know he grew into the game grew into his position and as you say he's been excellent since he joined arsenal but i think gabriel Jose is just ed- edges it for me Luke, in the last couple of minutes here before we wrap up, I, I think that's enough You know, talking about Arsenal. I think it's time for us to do a proper laugh at Chelsea and what they have done, <laughs> sacking Graham Potter. You know, It wouldn't be a true Arsenal podcast if we didn't spend an appropriate amount of time laughing at the, the disarray of all of our rivals and why you know it's just been a terrible Premier League season because everybody, all the top teams have just been so bad. And Arsenal's title doesn't, you know, if we win, it doesn't count because all the other teams are just so shit. Uh, you know, oh God. It's one of those things that really annoys me because this stuff never, like, you don't hear this stuff. Do you know what I mean, this this happens every season. Every season, good teams that were good are bad. Every season, some teams have injuries, other people don't. Do you know what I mean, like, it just feels like there's a lot of people trying to to blemish this because they feel like there's a chance we could actually do it. And I don't want people to think that we could actually do it because maybe in people's minds, we haven't gone through the toil required to do it. We haven't kind of taken the conventional route of kind of slowly building up and like, you know, getting top four, having a few seasons top four, kind of getting top three, then becoming kind of challengers and then suddenly kind of usurping the champions. We've gone kind of out of nowhere straight into the podium places, it feels like. So um, uh, the, the thing that frustrates me about the opinion that some some reason this is a weird Premier League season where everyone's bad and Arsenal are just kind of picking up the pieces is because um, even if Man City had the same points after their current amount of games as they did this like last season, we'd still be ahead of them. And Man City are the benchmark. So it, the way yeah. I see it is, if if other teams can't kind of come up to the level of, of where City are and where now Arsenal are, then that's never been a problem when it was City and Liverpool. When it was sitting in Liverpool getting 90 plus point seasons and everyone else is in the 60s, 70s, no one was saying, God, the league's so weak that these two guys are just blitzing past everyone. But now the Liverpool have dropped off a bit and um, Arsenal have a really good season. Suddenly there's a problem with that, even though Arsenal are on course to, to be in the same level as City have been in pretty much every season other than probably the Centurion season. So I think that people have to take a bit of humble pie, like, like most like probably fans and probably most Arsenal fans. Cause like, you know, I'll put my hands up and say, I didn't see us competing for the title this season. I don't think that's an unfair opinion, but I think that the beauty of football is that when you get new information and you see like how a season pans out, you, you can reprogram what you say because, because stuff happens and the context changes. And it's going to have to be at this point, people have to say that Arsenal have just been phenomenal. City have also been phenomenal. And Arsenal now up there to the point where we could potentially win a Premier League title. And I don't think there's any more context to it than that. And especially, you know, where, as we say, certain reporters want to kind of say that we've had luck with injuries and stuff, even though they cover a team and and, and talk in the favour of a team that last time they won a title had, um, I think, eight players in their front 11 play 30-plus games and six of those play 35-plus games. So I think if God, anyone's lucky, that sounds research. quite lucky. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not got stats here or anything, but you know, that, that if, if that was the case, then I'd feel that would be pretty lucky. But that's purely hypothetical. You know, but yeah, hypothetical, like, you know, just this, you know, Van Dyke, Trent Alexander, playing 38 games. But you know, just, we, we, we digress, we digress. This, this is an Arsenal podcast. So, um, uh, you know, we've been Britain this season. I just think we deserve a bit more respect, especially with the fact we're doing it with, I think, either the youngest or the second youngest team in the league. Why is no one talking mm. about that? 
when have we ever seen a team this young compete for the Premier League? Especially against a team as good as City. That's and when you look so at no the one's... team that is the youngest in Southampton, they're sitting bottom. And yeah. Yeah. just because we're going <laughs> young isn't, you know, it could go horribly, horribly wrong. That mm-hmm. just because, you know, we took this approach of buying young players and kind of developing them. And, and because we didn't have the financial power to spend 70, 80 million on proven players, we had to, you know, yes, we spent a lot, but uh, some of the players were high risk and we're getting the high reward aspect of it, but it was never a given. It, it was never a given at all. And it could have gone horribly, horribly I th- wrong. I, th- I think no one's talking about it as well because of the way that last season ended, you know, because we didn't get top four, the natural progression wasn't, you know, the perception was that Spurs had strengthened, that Chelsea had spent loads of money and all this stuff. But because we dropped out of the top four, if we got top four, I think this would be much more normalised because it would be, oh, that's the natural progression. You know, they got top four last season and now they're going on to win the title. But because we didn't get top four, there's so much stigma about, oh, it's the old Arsenal. You know, they're a soft touch. They roll over when it gets tough, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And people can't seem to shake that. And people want to continue the, you know, people wanted to take shots at William Saliba for three years or Arteta's handling of Saliba. Uh, He's come back, look what he's done, you know. People wanted to talk about bringing Gabriel Jesus in, who was second rate at City, and Zinchenko, who wasn't really a left back. You know, people don't want to recognise that Arsenal have found a plan, stuck to it methodically, and are reaping the rewards because that sounds too boring. It's not sensational enough. You know, you can't say, I don't, I don't know, you can't, you can't say you're like United and you've gone and spent a billion pounds and you've still got nowhere. You know, you're playing Weghorst and Scott McTominay against Newcastle you know it's not possible to level these accusations at Arsenal because there are so few transfer misses in the last three years um that you know people have to sit back and go oh well we're going to try and take pot shots at other things and then when that doesn't work you know we're still standing and we're still going for the title so I agree with you it's a bit I feel like everyone's trying to find hoops to jump through for why Arsenal shouldn't be challenging for the title because it's not normal it's not conventional wisdom um but it just goes to show how much of a good job Arsenal, so Mikel Arteta on the training pitch and Mikel Arteta and Edu in the transfer market have done to get to this place, which is so abnormal that people can't really contextualize it properly. Yeah, so I think that is a great place for us to wrap up episode one of the Bruce Banana FC podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. I know I had a lot of fun. I know that I am really excited for everything that we are going to put out in the next you know, years to come. Uh, my name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. Thanks to Ben, who you can find on Twitter at BenBrowning3. Thank you, Luke. You can find on Twitter at Echelkoon. We will be back on Friday for our preview podcast for the upcoming match against Liverpool. Erdegaard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! Bukayo Saka Oh, Saka. Oh,